open up to 2 Kings chapter 18. I promised you last time that we would do more than four verses. I think we made it all the way to six. And tonight, I think we're going to do like six chapters. <clears throat> so, oh, ouch, e, man, them old things don't bend like they used to. You guys don't experience that, do you? Yeah, long time ago, I tore a meniscus playing football, and uh, I went to the doc, and he said, well, we'll fix it with surgery. And I said, okay, so they scheduled surgery for like Christmas Eve. Like, are you crazy? So I never went. So occasionally, it reminds me that I should have fixed it when I was a kid, instead of waiting till I'm an old man. I'm just waiting for new knees now. I'm sorry, uh, older. Second <laughs> Kings chapter 18, and I want you guys to hold your finger here. And I want to remind you of what we talked about last time. Listen to these few verses, and then we're going to go to Second Chronicles. So it says, <clears throat> of, of uh, Hezekiah, verse 3, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And he removed the high places, and he broke down the sacred pillars, and he cut down the wooden image, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the children of Israel burned incense to it, and called it Nehushtan. And he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, uh, nor who were before him. What a great synopsis of a life given over to the Lord God Almighty. And I just want to give you a little bit more of an idea. And when we come to Second Chronicles, we'll study it again. But I invite you to now turn to the right. To Second Chronicles, I think the writer of the Old Testament was brilliant. He put all the first and seconds together. So if you're ever looking for something that starts with a first or second, they all come together. First and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. That's all the first and seconds in Old Testament. That's part of the song, if you know the song. So it'll... Hey, easy. I didn't ask for no comments from the peanut gallery. <laughs> Apparently, it's that way in the new, too. So, maybe I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Second Chronicles, chapter, I think we're going to start in chapter 29. And we're going to do 29, 30, and 31. You thought I was kidding that we're going to do six chapters. I'm not kidding, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. I just want you to see when it says Hezekiah was, was like David. That Hezekiah was like a man after God's own heart. That Hezekiah w- was totally committed to the Lord I want you to see what it looks like. Because in, in 2 Kings, it gives us a couple of verses and, and throws it out there. But in 2 Chronicles, it goes a little bit more in depth. So we're just going to read some of the things that were a part of Hezekiah. <clears throat> Chapter 29 says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Apparently, the temple was broken down. Well, nobody went there anymore. The doors didn't even work. We have a similar problem at Calvary Chapel Buell. However, we have more doors that still open. 
And as long as nobody tells the fire marshal that our doors are bolted shut because they won't open or close, and he might be here tonight, I don't know. <clears throat> but eventually, our Hezekiah is going to repair our doors as well. But the doors to the, to the temple were broken, so he repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them in the east square, and he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Carry out the rubbish from the holy place. It was a dump. They were throwing their trash at the temple. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, for they forsaken him, and they turned their faces away from the dwelling places of the Lord, and they've turned their backs on him. Wow. And they have also shut up the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps, and they haven't burned incense or offered a burnt offering on the holy place to the God of Israel. Well, therefore, the wrath of the Lord has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, the desolation, the jeering, as you see with your own eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and burn incense. And these Levites arose, Mahath the son of Amasai, and Joel the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, and the sons of Merari, and the sons of Jehelel, and the Gershonites, Joah the son of Zima, and Eden the son of Joah, and all the sons of Elizaphan, Shimri, and Jael, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah, of the sons of Heman, Jethiel, Shimei, the sons of Jedathun, Shimei, and Uziel. And they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the debris they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites broke it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Let's tell you how big a mess it was in the temple. Sixteen days it took them to clean it out. Sixteen days to, to re-anoint and to light, to, to put the oil back in the menorah and, and to once again get it looking like a temple again. So you can see how the children of Israel, how far Judah had gone. It was barred doors, but they went in and they fixed it. And this is all Hezekiah. This is all Hezekiah saying, guys, we're, we're in a bad place. We're, our eyes are not focused on the Lord. We're doing all these other things and we're looking at our lives and we're saying, man, our lives are sideways. And upside down and, and twist it up and we gotta change things. So the first thing they did is change their, the place of worship, where they would gather, how they would worship the Lord. Once again, moving toward the worship of God. Once again, coming to that place. Even as we sang uh, tonight that we were created, you and I were created with a space in our life that desires to worship. Listen, I don't care if you don't believe me or you worship something. Now, you may not want to come here and worship the Lord, but you worship something. You may worship the buck. 
You may worship the almighty dollar. You may worship your car. You might worship your Harley. It could be a guitar. Sorry, Fritz. It could be anything. But there is something in your life, I, I promise you, that you worship. Because we were created to worship. Every man, woman, and child on the face of earth worships something. God's call to us is that to be in our proper place in the universe where our life is once again balanced and in line with where it ought to be, we have to fall into the worship of the one true God. And so that's what Hezekiah is leading them to. He's leading them to this place. It says, Then went in King Hezekiah and he said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar, the burnt offerings, and all its articles, and the table of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we prepared and, and sanctified. And there they are before the altar of the Lord. And King Hezekiah got up early and gathered all the rulers of the city. And they went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls and seven rams and seven lambs and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And he commanded the priests and the sons of Aaron to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received their blood, and they sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. And they killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. And they brought out the male goats for the sin offering from before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. Then the priests killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make atonement for all of Israel." For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. Will you catch that? He says the kingdom's divided now. And the northern kingdom's already gone into captivity with Assyria. But here, Hezekiah is saying, Hey, our brothers are in captivity, but we're, we're making a sin offering for all of Israel. Not just for the ones that are here. And he emphasizes again the concept to the people that sin kills. How many times do they kill an animal? Every time they killed that animal, it says they laid hands on that animal. When you laid your hands on the animal upon whom you were imputing your sin, your failure, you laid hands on the animal, you felt the life leave. You would confess your sins and the priest would slit its throat and it would die right there while you're touching it. And it would emphasize to you the costliness of our sin. But you and I today, we don't have that reminder. And so we think of things like little white lies. And we take our sins and we put them on some kind of ladder where we're not as bad as that sin or, or this sin or that sin. And we remove ourselves from the sacrifice of Christ and we forget the price of those little sins. That's the same. But Hezekiah, he again emphasizes that. First thing they do, they prepare the place for worship, and where do they come and ask for forgiveness for their sins? For you and I, it's so much easier to get right in a right place with the Lord. But this is the revival that Hezekiah starts. And that revival, folks, I long for a revival, but but I think sometimes we, we picture revivals different. We think... Uh, Revival is going to be big and showy and a lot of flash and a lot of stuff going on. But I hope we don't never have one of those. What I want is a revival where there's radical changes in the hearts of men and women that, that come to a place where they want to be wholly committed. Wholly committed. When I was doing 
youth ministry, we had several kids, actually, that, that came through youth group back in those days, really gifted in music. And I remember this one guy, he'd come out, and I was just listening to him tonight. But he'd come out, <coughs> and uh, he said, Jackie, I, I just want to do a song. I feel like the Lord gave me a song. I said, well, you, can do, you sing. Yeah, I sing, I sing, I, and I rap. And I'm like, what? He's like a pudgy little white guy. I, I don't know. You rap? This is going to be lame. But we had him do his thing. And that guy got out there and opened his mouth, and it was unreal unreal he got together with a couple other guys when when they were little they used to hang out at my house and try to when they were little i mean like eight they'd be there playing their guitars and drums and bass and trying to do a band and it was hilarious watching those guys grow up but they they put together a band and they went out and they had a couple of guys that were singing, and a couple of guys who were playing, but one father told his son, "You don't do that. You need to focus on building a life. That means you got to go to school and you got to get a job because this thing that you're doing, that's not real." So he left. I thought that was the saddest thing I ever heard somebody tell somebody. What ain't real? What are you talking about? You mean he's not going to be able to be a bazillionaire? Well, good. I mean, if that's our goal of success. So he, he left and he went to school and he became a police officer and he's working on his second marriage now and his relationship with the Lord, his gift is amazing. This guy, not the rapper, but this other guy. Amazing gift for worship and singing. But he got into his head that that's not a real job and that's not a real life and that's not a real move. So I need to have a real job. And it really, if that's in your head, do me a favor and don't tell your kid that. Because if your child wants to grow up and serve a Lord and eat beans the rest of his life and be poor, you're robbing him of one of the most satisfying, beautiful, incredible experiences of his life because of your being uptight about what God's trying to do. If God is calling your child, praise the Lord. If he calls him to be in camel skin, goat hair, eat locusts and honey out in the woods like a wild man, let him go. God only loaned them to us, and he didn't loan them to us for us to screw them up. We want to tell them they can go. That band became Shaka. I know they came here and played here at Calvary Chapel before. Every one of the kids but the bass player came up through youth group, did worship in youth group. Some of them were little bitty kids in my house. In, I'm not quite in diapers. They're out of their diapers by the time they come over. But they were little bitty kids. And God's still doing great things with them. They went to Peru on a, on a concert. And when they went to Peru, um, they were headlining for like a huge star in Peru. Now, I, I don't remember who it was, but he was humongous, uh, a secular. Not, not, this is not a Christian concert. This is just a concert where they could share Christ because that's how they do it everywhere else. In the United States, we got to group it up. But, but over there, they don't care. And so this guy said, hey, uh, I'll headline for you guys. He saw their, their 
energy, you know, and he said, I'll headline for you. So he opened for him. This huge name, it was <clears throat> unbelievable. And so they, they share their music and they share the love of Christ and people by the hundreds come up and get saved. And all I can think in my mind is the words of that dad. This is not a real job. This is not a real life. Man. But see, see sometimes our lives, we start to divide our lives between secular and sacred, and that division starts to spread. And we think, well, I, I mean, if you're going to live in this world, you go to school, you get a degree, get a job, and, and maybe that is the basic map for success, but that's not always God's map. Not always. Sometimes God's map has lefts and rights that you weren't anticipating. And sometimes in those lefts and rights, he lets you be hungry. And sometimes he lets you go through really difficult circumstances. But it does not change the fact that God has a wonderful plan for your life and a design for you and an encouragement to walk. And this is what Hezekiah is telling the people. And this is what the people are doing. Verse 25 says, They stationed Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So they start doing worship. They start playing music. They start breaking out the tambourines and the stringed instruments and the drums. And they're praising the Lord. Now, they hadn't done this forever. The house of God was a, a trash heap. And nobody had asked for forgiveness of their sins. But now the, tra- the, the trash in the house of God is cleaned up. And now the people have asked for forgiveness of their sins. And now they're entering into worship what they were intended to do all along. If ever in your life, if ever in your life, you spend any time in the presence of God, you'll know it. And you will want that more than you have wanted anything else in your life. Because it's amazing. And if you've never had it, it might be that there's some trash in the house of the Lord. Well, remember the Bible tells us our body is the temple of God. And sometimes we leave junk in there, right? I'm not talking about what we eat or drink. I'm talking about choices of what we put in our eye gate, what we allow in our ear gate, what we allow to be a part of our life. Sometimes those things can clog stuff up. Maybe, maybe we need to confess our sins. Or maybe you just need to find that quiet space where you can let God be God and you can be still and know. But you've got to have that experience and that's what they have going on for them. <clears throat> well, it says in verse 30, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. Man, pretty incredible, right? God's doing great and awesome things. It says in 31, Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourself 
to the Lord, come near, bring sacrifice and thank offerings to the house of God. So the assemblies brought in sacrifice and thank offerings. As many as they were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. And the number of burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls and 100 lambs and 200, or 100 rams and 200 lambs. And all these were for the burnt offering of the Lord. And the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few so that they couldn't scan all the burnt offerings. Therefore, the brethren, the Levites, helped them with the work until it was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance and the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings and every burnt offering so that the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. Sixteen days, they start cleaning out. and Boom, man, things are going crazy. Now all of a sudden, people are coming with their sacrifice and they're praising God and they're thanking the Lord for what's going on in their life. Now, in the midst of that, right outside the wall is Assyria. The most powerful nation on the face of the earth. In 701, they were it. 701 B.C. And they're coming for Jerusalem. And the people are praising God. Life is getting a little dicey. But they're praising the Lord. It's incredible to see the things that are going on. In chapter 30, it says, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and he wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord to keep the Passover. They hadn't done a Passover. So he sends letters to all the nations, and he says, hey, we're doing a Passover. Come home. We're going to have it at Jerusalem. I'll see you guys there. And people come from everywhere. From Israel, from Judah, from Manasseh, from Gad, from the different tribes. They come. And listen to what he tells them. Listen to what (coughs) they lay out for him in verse 7 and 8. He says, Do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation, as you see. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. Enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. Serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may be turned away for you. For in you, for if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to the land. And Hezekiah has got it right. He's applying what the prophets have been saying, what Jeremiah had been saying, what the prophets had been laying out, what Isaiah has been saying. You have Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel. Uh, um, well, Ezekiel may not be quite yet, but close. Uh, giving out the word. You got Amos sharing the word. You got most of the prophets that you read in the Bible are prophesying during this time. And Hezekiah's got it and he's hearing it and he's, and he's doing it. Man, they're, they're moving. But look at, look at chapter 31. Chapter 31 says, Now when all this was finished, so they have a Passover, people come, man, God's doing great things. In chapter 31 it says, Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces and cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places from the altars from all of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. And all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. 
So it's after their hearts are right, and after they're in worship, and after they've been forgiven of their sins, and after all these things have happened, then they start cleaning everything up. Then they tear down the altars. Then they tear down the high places because they've seen God move and work and do incredible things. And in the midst of all of this, guys, in the midst of all those things, <coughs> Second Kings chapter 18 takes place. In the midst of all that blessing and all the power of God moving, and lives being radically transformed and changed. Look at verse 9. Chapter 18, verse 9. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. We studied that two weeks ago. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, son or king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Chalah and by the Habor and the river of Gozan in the city of the Medes. So he took all the children of Israel and transplanted them to another nation, the nations of the Medes, which will arise and become the, the, the nation after Babylon, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, but as yet they're not at that place. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but they transgressed His covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. So the writer reminds us what happened to Israel. Because they wouldn't hear what God was saying, because they wouldn't hear what the Word had laid out, because they turned a deaf ear. Not that they couldn't hear, it says they would not. They didn't care. It's dumb. It's boring. It's lame. It's all these rules. I, you know, it's, so they didn't hear it. Nothing new under the sun. The same excuses you hear today are the same excuses they gave in those days. They wouldn't hear. And they wouldn't do them. So they went into captivity. What happens if you don't hear the word of God and you won't do the word of God? You will be in bondage. You'll be in bondage. You'll be in bondage to something. You'll be in bondage to sin. You'll be in bondage to your choices. You'll be in bondage to other people's choices. But you'll be in bondage. Because you will not hear. And you will not do. And you find yourself in a desert land. But now you've got Hezekiah and you've got a revival coming. Verse 13, it says, In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Remember I told you they were having this celebration and this revival. People are getting right with the Lord. But right outside, Shennacherib and one of the biggest armies and one of the longest ruling kingdoms on earth ever, they come down and they start little by little picking off the cities of Judah. The outlying fortified cities. One by one, they are taking them down, headed toward Jerusalem. It says, Then, king, then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, Lachish, and said, I have done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. 
So here's what Hezekiah discovers in this time. All his buddies, they, they were all talking tough to Assyria. Syria was talking tough, and the outlying nations, they were all like, ah, we're not going to bow. So Assyria came and started whooping them all. And now Hezekiah is looking around, and he says, man, I don't have friends. The, Biblos has been conquered. Arvad's been conquered. Ashdod's been conquered. Moab's been conquered. Edom's been conquered. Ammon has been conquered. And they're all paying tribute. And I am standing by myself. I got no friends to call on. So Hezekiah says to Assyria, tell me what I got to pay for you to leave us alone. So, the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, the king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, 30 talents of gold. Well, I don't want this to sound like nothing. So, uh, $1.5 million was the price. King of Assyria said, pay $1.5 million. So, Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it all to the king of Assyria. He gave Assyria everything they had. He stripped the gold from the temple... Why? Because, uh, what else? I, I got to do something, right? I got to do something because I don't have anybody to help me. Come on, you feel that way sometimes, don't you? I'll sell it all. I'll find a way to get me out of trouble. I'll find a way to stop what's happening. I'll find a way. There's got to be a way. And so we rob Peter and pay Paul. Isn't that what he's doing? 1.5 million he sent to Shennacherib. You know what Shennacherib did? He said, thanks, I'll be there shortly to take the rest. He didn't give him a minute reprieve. He took every dime and he said, cool, thanks. I should be there in a couple days. Look what it says. It says, the king of Assyria sent the Tardin, the Rebsaris, and the Rebshekah from Lachish, with a great army against Jerusalem. The Tardin, that's like the general. The Reb Sharis, that's like the chief of the eunuchs. And the Reb Sheka is the chief, his chief advisor. These are all offices, not guys' names. They're offices that were held by Assyrians. Who are all there in the name of Shennacherib. And I think part of the reason why there's Shennacherib's always out causing problems is because of the name he got stuck with. And he's taking it out on everybody else. You thought your name was bad. What, what do you shorten Shennacherib to? Sh. Shnek? That's not going to work. Something. Whatever it is, it ain't going to be good. So he spends all his time making war. So he sends his armies. Look what it says. They come against Jerusalem, the king Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem, and when they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct of the upper pool, which was on the highway to the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, that makes him number two. That's like the vice president. Eliakim would be the vice president, only it's a king, so he's second 
in command. If the king was killed, Eliakim would immediately assume control until whoever the next monarch would be set on the throne. So Eliakim is number two. And then it says also Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Ahath, Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. So one's a scribe, a scribe is a lawyer. And the recorder is a guy who, like the secretary, takes down all the notes. The son of Asaph. Does that ring a bell for any of you guys? Because if you read the Psalms, you're going to read some of this guy's Psalms. The sons of Asaph. Sometimes Asaph himself. So these guys are gathered to hear what they have to say. So then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah. Thus says the great king. That was a title he gave himself, by the way. The great king. The king of Assyria. What confidence is this in which you trust? Now what I would say is, what are you talking about? What confidence? He just sent you 1.5 million to leave him alone. But this guy's coming to peck a fight. And so he's coming to peck a fight. He says, where's your confidence? Listen, these are all important questions that the devil is going to hit you with often. Where's your confidence? How are you going to get out of this? How are you going to solve this problem? Where do you have your trust? What do you think is going to bail you out? That's what it's saying. What is What confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power for war. But they're, we're, they're mere words. And in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Who can help you? Who can save you? He says, now look, you are trusting in the staff of a broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. He said, are you trusting in Egypt that Egypt's going to come bail you out? Man, Egypt's not going to help you at all. They have already whooped Egypt. And Shennacherib would look forward to the opportunity to whoop Egypt again. So he says, if Egypt comes, it'll be like a broken staff. You lean on it, and the broken end's going to go up into your hand. It's worthless. It can't help support you at all. But if you say to me, look at verse 22, we trust in the Lord our God. So the second question, he says, well, are you trusting in God? What's God ever done for you? Look what he says. Isn't this the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah took away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? In their mindset, they tore down all the high places and all the altars and they set up this little dump. And they said, this is the only place you can worship. So he's saying, God is not happy with you. The Lord your God is not happy with you. And by the way, he knows God's name. He uses it. You see it there, right? Capital L-O-R-D. Calling God by his name. Yahweh. Yehovah. He's calling him by name. He's saying, he don't, he don't, he's not here for you. He says, now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to put riders on them. He says, when he says give a pledge, he's saying, make a bet with me. I'll give you 2,000 horses and you don't even have 2,000 riders to put on them. He's mocking. He's, he's making empty promises. So how then will you repel? How are you going to stop us? How will you repel the captain of the least of my master's servants? 
and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen, how are you going to stand? Listen, this is little Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever been there. Jerusalem's not big. Israel's still not big, by the way. That's why if you do a study of Israel's history, especially recent history from the 60s through, oh, if you go back to the 40s when they first became a nation, and the fact that they're still standing is a miracle. It's a miracle. You live in the United States. We're humongous. Israel is smaller than Rhode Island. You can drive across Israel in about 20 minutes. It's not big. And every nation around them wants to see them eradicated. Gone. Every nation. And some of those, by the way, are pretty big. And they're backed by some rather powerful people. You ever heard of Russia? Oh, yeah. That's one of them. So just the fact that they exist at all. They're not big. They're not small. And this guy's saying, "Who? where's your trust? Then he tells him in verse 25, you think God's on your side? He's on my side. Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against the land and destroy it. Now the Lord did use Shenecherib and Rabshakeh to bring <coughs> judgment earlier to the nation of Israel. But the Lord did not call him to Judah. And if God does not call you, I don't care how much you rattle your saber, it will do you no good. Rabshakeh is talking like crazy, and I'm sure he's freaking everybody out. And right outside, a huge army... The army's so big they could trudge across Israel in no time. So they're standing there, listen to the words, and it starts to freak out Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah. So they say to Rebshekah, Please, speak to us, your servants, in Aramaic, for we can understand it. But do not speak to us in, your Bible should say, Judean. It says Hebrew, there'll be a little note by it. The little note probably is an A or a 1 or a 2 or something that takes you to a note in the bottom of your Bible that should say Judean. What it means is, at this point in their history, it's still Hebrew, but it's a different, it's a slightly different dialect than the north. See, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had been divided so long that they spoke different dialects of Hebrew. Kind of interesting that the the dialects, the language between the two started to change. Started to change. Started to, 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 they started to see a difference. But it's just a small side note, by the way. Not all that important, but I just thought it was interesting. Do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Don't talk in a language that they can understand because they're going to freak out if you keep talking like this. Now, you cannot tell the commander of the enemy... That you're, hey, you're freaking out our people, just talk to us. That's not going to work. And what it does show is the disdain that the Assyrians thought of the leadership of Judea. They don't want to talk to them. They're just shouting it to the people. They just want the people, they, they're hoping they're going to get the people panicked, freaked out. And this battle will be easy. They'll be given up before we ever get there. We experienced something like that at Desert Storm. You guys remember Desert Storm? 
And we were a little bit freaked out, if you remember, about the, the ground war and what was going to happen on the ground war. And I'm not saying there weren't losses, and, and I'm not saying that every loss wasn't a tragedy. But we're thinking the ground war is going to be crazy. And you remember the first few battles, what happened when we got to them? They were throwing their rifles on the ground and putting their hands in the air, surrendering. Why? Their spirit was broke long before the soldiers ever got to them. That's what the Assyrians are hoping for here. We're going to break their will to fight. We'll break their will to fight right now. So look what it says, verse 27. But Reb Shaka said to them, Has my master sent me to your master to speak these words? And not to the, you could see him, and not to these men on the wall. The whole idea of the Assyrians and their kingdom was that they were a kingdom for the little guy. Now there's no proof that they ever were. All they did to the little guy was enslave him the same way they enslaved everybody else. They were cruel, mean, and deceitful. But they preached that they were there for the common man. And we'll elevate the common man. And the common man will have a chance. And so that's what he's talking about. He's trying to appeal to them. He says, "Have I not? was I not spent, sent to speak these words to the men who sit on the wall and who will eat and drink their own waste with you? So what he's saying to them, Hey, when we come and set up a siege like they did at Samaria, there will be no water and no food. Now, if somebody built a wall around your house right now, and you had no water and no food, how long can you stay there? Samaria made it three years. In AD 70, Jerusalem lasted seven. And then... People were eating and drinking their own waste to live. They were eating bird waste and killing the dead and cooking them. Or not killing the dead, but cooking the dead. The dead were already dead, so you didn't have to kill them. You guys know what I mean. So this is, <laughs> this is what the siege was like. And so he's saying, is this what you guys want? Trying to break their spirit. Then the Reb Shekha stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew. And he said... Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from his hand. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Now what had Hezekiah done so far? Who do you think the voice of Shenecherib is? Who do you think speaking for Rabshakeh? You got this humongous revival taking place. Hearts changed. People's reaching out. Things are, are radically changing in the nation. And all of a sudden, you got this powerful guy showing up on the scene saying, Don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to deceive you. He's going to deceive. He's deceiving you now. It worked with Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached. And people wouldn't listen. Jeremiah said, Lay down your arms and you'll go in peace. And they fought to the last man. They wouldn't listen. So that's what he's saying here. Hey, don't listen. Don't listen to Hezekiah. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah in verse 31. For thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me. And every one of you will eat from his own vine. And every one from his own fig tree. And every one of you will drink the waters of his own cistern. Listen, come to me. I'll conquer you. And I'm going to take you to a faraway land and give you a little piece of paradise. Now, you buy that? I wouldn't either. 
until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Well, ultimately, what's he saying? God cannot help you. God cannot get you out of this. God cannot do this for you. God's not going to rescue you from my hand. Don't trust in God. You ever heard that voice? Maybe it didn't sound like Reb Shekha. Maybe it sounds like your own voice in your head. But you hear it. You hear it talking. God won't save me from this. Then he says in verse 33, Is any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? We conquered all these gods. <coughs> what are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sevarphaim and Hena and Iva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Your brothers? I took them. Who among all the gods of the land have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord, he uses God's name there, that Yahweh, Yehovah, should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? It says in verse 36, the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For Hezekiah had said, don't say a word. Hezekiah had told the people, had warned the people that they were coming. He's told them that these things would happen, that he's going to say these things. But we got to be a people who make a choice. We got to make a decision. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Every generation has had to make that choice. Moses, after he was 40 days and 40 nights up on Mount Sinai and he came down the golden calf incident, he stood up and he said, if you are on the Lord's side, then come to me. They had to decide who they stood for. Hezekiah is telling the people the same thing. Look at the people. They say, they didn't say a word. They didn't say a word in their silence. They are aligning themselves with Hezekiah. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah and they, with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Tore their clothes. Tearing their clothes expresses their horror at the blasphemy of how many times he had used the name of their God in vain. Chapter 19, it says, And so it was, when Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes. And then he covered himself with sackcloth. Well, sackcloth is a sign of distress. Sign of distress. He tore his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth. And he went into the house of the Lord. Where do you go when you're distressed? If you're freaking out and you're getting uptight and you're worried, there's a lot of places we can run today. You can run to a lawyer. You can run to your friends. You can run a hundred places. You can run to a bank, try to get a bigger loan. 
When Hezekiah was stressed out, when he was in distress, he came to the house of the Lord. He just came before the Lord. And what he does before the Lord is amazing. But you won't get to see what he does until next week. But, sorry. You always got to leave him wanting more. But I am going to give you uh, one more verse. Then he said to Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, and they were covered with sackcloth. He sent them, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. So he tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth, which means I'm stressed out. He goes into the house of the Lord. And he sends the other guys to the prophet Isaiah. That's the same prophet that's in your Bible. In fact, you can read about what happened in Isaiah. You can read about what happened in Second Chronicles. You can read about what happened in Second Kings. And that would be a good thing to do. We'll talk about it next week. But I will tell you this. Our God is able... To deliver you from your bitterness, to deliver you from your fear, to deliver you from the hands of your enemy, to give you great peace. Our God will not always deliver you from pain or hurt or despair because pain, hurt, and despair often bring us to him but he's there to fix it to fix the pain to heal the heart to solve the despair see that's what he does he's like for lack of a better term and Don't tear your clothes and say I'm saying blasphemy, but he is like my mom was. My mom could not always save me from the things that life was going to hit me with. But when I came to mom, she could always put it back together. Put the band-aid on, take me to the dentist and have him put my teeth back in my head, whatever he had to do couple of times and that's what God does for us he won't always spare us he didn't spare Hezekiah from a hard few days right it was pretty crazy for him but he delivered him through it and God will deliver you through it he will deliver you through the pain he will deliver you through The disappointment. He'll deliver you through. Don't listen to the voice that says, nobody can save you from this. Don't listen to the voice that says, your God has no power. If he did, he'd have stopped this from happening. Don't listen. Let God be true. And every man a liar. God don't lie. His word is true. He loves you so much. You can't even fathom it if you spent every day of the rest of your life meditating on it. 
That's how much he cares. And you'll see it when we open up the rest of the book next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the time. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. God, we thank you for the truth in your word. We thank you for the leadership of Hezekiah that said to the people, Hey, (coughs) just follow me. We're going to clean out the house of God. We're going to stop all this garbage dumping we've been doing in here. And we're going to clean it up. And we're going to clean up not only the house of God, but we're going to clean up our hearts. Our hearts are messed up. We've got garbage floating around in our hearts. So we're going to come before the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And so we clean up the house. We clean up the temple. We clean up our hearts. We, we, we clean up the sin. And then before we do anything else, we're going to come before the Lord God Almighty in worship. Because that's where we'll feel his presence. That's where we'll feel him. That's where we'll hear him. That's where we might see him. And so we worship And that worship leads to the celebration of the Passover, which was the celebration that we have looking at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the sin of the world. And as they celebrated the Passover, as they celebrated God's forgiveness of their sins, as they celebrated God's deliverance, they found themselves face to face with a crazy enemy seeking to utterly destroy them. So they came to the Lord God Almighty. They humbled themselves. They didn't come in their royal robes. They came with sackcloth. They didn't come with lies and and sweet words trying to make themselves look holy. They came with, Lord, we are pretty freaked out about what's going on. God, I've got some problems. That's how they came. They didn't sugarcoat it. They didn't beat around the bush. They laid it out before the Lord God Almighty. And that's what God wants us to do still. To bring it all out and lay it out before the Lord God Almighty. And be still and know He is a God that still does miracles. He is a God who still delivers. He is the only hope and source of our strength. No good thing will he withhold from you. No good thing will he withhold from you. To those who walk uprightly. Lord God, we just come to you tonight and celebrate the truth of your word, the truth of what you're doing. And I pray, God, you would do this work in our heart. That revival happened to a nation, but this revival needs to happen in us individually, one person at a time. Because that's how revival comes today. Start with Hezekiah. Went to his leadership, to the priest, to the priesthood. Lord God, I pray that you would bring revival in our midst as we seek to honor you with the lives we have yet to live before you. Be glorified in this place, Lord God, as we offer it to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.